0: Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo,
1: Yahoo, 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 Name a new Yahoo product that exists today that didn't 4 years ago that you are using. I mean
0: it's it just hasn't happened. Once upon a Y2K, Yahoo ruled the worldwide interwebs. Flush with 140 billion in market value, it's spent freely on dead-end companies and executives. Though Yahoo survived the ensuing dot-com crash, Google and Facebook siphoned away its dominance in search and advertising. So 21 years after its founding, Yahoo, at its core, is now worth under $3 billion. Fed-up shareholders have forced the company to put itself up for sale. We'll talk to the most outspoken. Full disclosure, stay with us. Broadcast of Full Disclosure made possible by the support of Elwood Thompson's Local Market, Aspiring to feed the heart and soul of our community through a strong commitment to local and organic foods. Located at the top of Richmond's Carrytown, and you must try the Indian Buffet Lunch on Wednesdays. Visit them at elwoodthompsons.com. Joining us from the AV Club at Degrassi Junior High is Dr. Eric Jackson, Managing Director of Yahoo Shareholder Spring Owl Asset Management, author of the famous 99-page presentation manifesto in December, telling the company that it needs to get serious about right-sizing and putting itself up for sale. How are you, sir? Hi, Robin. Tell us the state of play right now. We are here on Monday. Bids are due for Yahoo. The company under Marissa Mayer has reluctantly put itself up for sale. Uh, what is the end game here? Until recently, Yahoo at its core was worthless, but now it seems to have some sort of stub value.
1: Well, I think um, it's a very sad. A situation, I think, for uh, the company that's it, it, really um, continued to bumble along, um, especially since the the current regime under Marissa Mayer took over almost four years ago. Uh, it's it, it's things are so bad that it's at this state where it's it now has this committee that's effectively put itself up for sale, and I think. Although I've been following the company for a long time, uh, and it's had lots of fits and, and starts, and um, seemed to, you know it's stayed independent this long, I, I doubt that Yahoo will exit 2016 as an independent company. Is we are the we're on the tracks, we're rolling down them, and uh, this thing is going to happen, I believe.
0: Eric, Time Magazine anointed you Yahoo's loudest critic. Uh, What's beautiful is that you really fight above your weight. It's not like you're out there toting billions of dollars worth of Yahoo stock and saying, do this or else I I sell or I demand more board seats. You've mastered kind of this art of taking – you know you you have a you have a hedge fund that splits time between New York and Toronto, but you have this great big megaphone that you use in terms of writing and uh, engaging the likes of The Wall Street Journal and recode and Business Week and everybody else and appearing on financial television. Tell us how that works well, I think
1: you know you got to have credibility when you speak obviously um and uh, fortunately or unfortunately i've been following yahoo really closely for for a decade i've been you know a shareholder um for the most part um for that same decade and so i've gotten to meet a lot of people that work uh, work at yahoo and worked at yahoo over the years and heard lots of information about the company and that situation so i i like to think when i speak um you know it comes from a comes from a place where it's it's pretty reasoned and it's sort of difficult to turn away from it and uh, you know what what's also gone on in these last ten years is that you know we live in a world which is just increasingly transparent. When I started following Yahoo, you know having a blog was kind of unique, um, but now uh, you know we can all tweet, and uh, you know within seconds our thoughts are shared with the world. And I think in 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 a in a world where there is so much transparency. If if you have a valid argument to make, whether it's about a company or it's about some particular topic, I think it just becomes more and more difficult for the powers that be, like a board of directors or a CEO, uh, to just turn away from... uh, a valid argument. They they have, to, they have to answer to that argument. They have to answer why they've done some things a certain way. And I think that's been, uh, you know, that's happened over these last couple of years at Yahoo. And I think that's, you know, they've managed, current management's had a difficult time answering tough questions.
0: Now, you should explain that Yahoo itself, when you look at the headline value of, of its market capitalization today, uh, the entire company, the entire balance sheet, the entire, you know, assets minus liabilities and, and as a going concern, is worth $35 billion, overwhelmingly because of its fortuitous stake in the Chinese internet behemoth Alibaba. Um, Now, that's something that Marissa Meyer was not responsible for. The stock Uh, ran up uh, parallel kind of as an arbitrage with Alibaba shares. What you are focusing on is Yahoo Core, the portal, the various acquisitions that they've rolled up over the years, Yahoo News, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Finance, uh, Katie Couric's video series. And you've been contending all along that that's uh, right now valued worthlessly and, in fact, way overstaffed. Well, yes. And, and I mean,
1: I'm all for value, Robin, <laughs> I mean, wherever that value comes from. And certainly when I look at the stub of the company uh, and the, the Katie Couric uh, aspect of the company, uh, it's, you know, although it is a dinosaur, I mean, people have been saying Yahoo's a dinosaur for over 10 years. They were saying that in 2006. So nothing's changed. And yet it's this third most trafficked website in the world. Uh, there, you know, any any unicorn in Silicon Valley would die to have the amount of traffic that Yahoo does every month. Any media company today still would love to have all these people coming to their website, even though it's a so-called dinosaur. So, I I, I do think there's uh, a lot more value in that stub business or core business than than what is being represented in the stock price, but I. It's not I'm not entirely uh, ignoring these investments that they've made in in, uh, Alibaba and also Yahoo Japan because a big part of potential uh, value in those investments is basically it, when those stakes get monetized. What are going to be the taxes that are owed on those stakes? Um, you know, right now, you know, if there's a, there's a straightforward way where Yahoo could just up and sell them, and they pay the maximum amount, amount of taxes on those stakes. But there are other ways where, if, for example, Yahoo sold them back to those to those owners, uh, the 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 size of the tax bill would be less and so I'm I'm all in favor uh, for all shareholders of seeing you know the minimum amount uh, h- having to be paid for that and that could be end up being a heck of a lot more than the increased value potentially f- that someone's going to pay for the Katie Kuric part of Yahoo
0: sure now I understand that you are a genteel Canadian. You're really polite. I try to I try to goad you on the twitters to kind of go after the Lakers or to to you know troll people. Um, you're doing this. Uh, you did it very eloquently in a 99 page slide share presentation, very bulleted, very footnoted, backed by facts, but. I would like you to take a minute or two, an indulgent minute or two, and and slam me, Robin Farzad, for not pursuing a job with Yahoo circa 2012 when Marissa Mayer came in. Because I see that it's been just an exceptional compensation gravy train. Um, There was one executive that she brought from Google, was it Henrique Castro, who worked for all of 15 months. It didn't work out with Marissa. She got $58 million. She negotiated a great contract for herself when all said and done – for her service at Yahoo, when you're arguing she did not build value at the core Yahoo, she's going to get what 120 dollars.
1: Uh, I think a lot more actually. That was part <laughs> of the that was part of the presentation. Is that uh, you know there's no evidence that that uh, she knew what Alibaba was going to do. But come back to
0: me for a minute, Mm -hmm. Mr. Jackson, me. There was a time Inc. executive who burned out at time Inc. was pushed out the magazine empire that was jettisoned by the parent company, Time Warner. And, um, Marissa Mayer brought her in and paid her something like $5 million. And then to say nothing about Katie Couric, who flamed out of you know CBS News, was bought out there, she's, she's now at $10 million a year. My point is that this was a great time for journalists, for legacy media people to show up and get the cash and, and equity compensation and the, the, the parachute guarantees and the severance agreements, knowing that this company was not long for the world, that there was going to be a change in control agreement.
1: Uh, but Robin, you know, you had to be the right type of journalist. You had to be the apple of Mayor's eye to get that kind of offer. Uh, you, ha- frankly, had to be have a certain reputation, uh, or she had to like you. Like the Time Inc. executive that you're talking about was the the woman who was the former editor of People, and she happened to like People magazine, and she had dreamed about. Uh, Recreating some version of People magazine uh, in Yahoo, and so you know, you you know, it was David Pogue uh, who went to Yahoo from the New York Times. Uh, It was Katie Couric, right? You know, there was a certain uh, class of journalists that uh, she was uh, attracted to, and which she doled out the most favorable compensation. So. You know, that's just that's just her. Um, and she gets a certain latitude, I guess, as CEO uh, went uh, to hire the people that she wants to hire. And she ended up hiring but there was Bob, that- Bobby, Bobby Brown was the head of Joe Z was the head of Yahoo Fashion. You know, I think I don't know what Bobby Brown was doing. I don't know. I guess there was a Yahoo makeup vertical or something. But it, it was all these these types of folks that she had seen at the MetLife or Sorry, Meta Gala Ball that, that she goes to, or in Davos. And she kind of wanted to surround herself with it. And it's ended up being, uh, I think Vanity Fair just wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, a big disaster.
0: Well, you can appreciate the vanity aspect of it, though, because you're operating in the shadow, in the enormous shadow of her former company, Google. And there's a lot to prove. And it's intensely competitive for actually engineering talent, people who move the needle on revenue and uh, biz dev people and product managers. And, you know, she came in at the very outset and said that we're going to stop working from home for a lot of people. I mean, that was looked at as kind of a left-handed way of rooting the company out of these lifers who are just hanging on to a job. Otherwise, you would be very competitive and you would get poached by the likes of Google or Yahoo or Netflix or someone else that that is much more of the moment of the here and now in Silicon Valley.
1: You know, in hindsight, there were a lot of things that she did, which uh, were in the name of attracting great talent, which ended up being uh, a bunch of bump. You know, the, she she rolled out free food uh, company wide uh, because she said that you know that that just needed to be done. That was sort of table stakes in. But isn't in Silicon that the Valley. table
0: stakes in Silicon Valley? Isn't that the industry standard? In her defense, um, you you still have to recruit talent. You still have to make it a place that's a viable. Place to work. You don't want everybody looking at it at the Mister Pib to, to Google's Doctor Pepper.
1: Well, what's gone? What's happened in the last six months, Robin? I mean, all these uh, unicorns that were, uh, I guess, maybe following a similar logic of rolling out this free free food for all and other perks and dog massages and all the rest of, have, are now realizing they can't raise any more money, um, and uh, cutting these these kinds of perks immediately. It was it was illusory. Uh, at Google, the money was falling from trees that. Yahoo, uh, it wasn't, uh, and she was sort of pitching the whole company into this nosedive financially, uh, in terms of declining revenues, declining profitability, and so spend, spend, spending on whether it's on Bobby Brown or free food or, we haven't even talked about all the the dozens of Aqua Hire companies that were also supposedly going to. Um, propel the company forward with with these exciting new talents I mean it ended up becoming this sort of bad episode of the HBO's Silicon Valley you know a bunch of rest invest executives walk you know meandering around yeah, explain
0: to, rest invest to us I mean obviously in Silicon Valley where these people are just they're they're useless to Hooli, the the fictional kind of amalgam <laughs> of corporate conglomerate and they spend yeah. the time on the roof and they discuss where to go to lunch and how to just sit out there and wait for your stock options to vest um has that is that what this is kind of being Become a, a retirement community or a place where um, certain old old stars from old media and some of the web 1 and 2.0 people come out to be put out to personal pasture and have a dignified retirement. Every,
1: think about all the people who've made money uh, kind of at Yahoo over these last few years. I mean, you mentioned Marissa. I mean, I think I think if Yahoo gets sold for $40, we had this analysis in, in our presentation, she'll walk away with, for four years of work, $365 million by our estimates. Um, we talked about Henrique de Castro, uh, who's walked away with $110 million for about a year's worth of work before he was fired uh, without cause, you know. But then you have these aqua hires. You know, she spent something like almost four, three billion dollars, um, if you include like you know all the various payouts and employee retention things uh, to these for for dozens of companies, and it was supposed to kind of. You know, breathe new life into Yahoo. You know what? What new life can you point to from any of them? Uh, Tumblr was obviously the most ex, you know expensive acquisition. Think of the friends that of uh, of Marissa's at the VC firms who sold their these companies to Yahoo for big ex, exits. Um, and uh, you know, everybody was happy, but but who is this all done at the expense of the Yahoo shareholder? and and, and kind of no one has really been speaking up for the shareholder. That's certainly what we've been trying to do. Where was Yahoo's board? The, the board is supposed to be the representatives of the shareholders.
0: Well, your indignation, I can understand uh, enunciating this as a shareholder, but I look at the top institutional holders, the people with with billions of dollars of of, of Yahoo in their coffers, Vanguard, uh, the, the mm-hmm. indexing pioneer, Goldman Sachs Group, which has money to be made, I think, ostensibly on selling off or or putting this company for sale, or the various other players in the Valley that it can represent. State Street Corporation, Fidelity, BlackRock, Invesco, T. Rowe Price, uh, Bank of America Corporation. These are not typically activists. And this gets to a central point of ownership today. Uh, the, The fund management world has primarily gone into passive ownership. You... You, you don't beat the market. You be the market. You own the market. You have – it used to be that if you're a mutual fund manager and you didn't like what was going on, you just sold the shares. Um, mm-hmm. Activism is expensive, as you know. You know, devoting your time to a core position to move the needle only makes sense if it's one of a handful of holdings that you have. But what has it been like kind of enlisting the likes of, of these enormous asset management giants? I, I don't look at them as activists.
1: Well, ten years ago, like I I was, I was leading a charge against uh, Terry Semel, uh, who was the CEO at Yahoo at the time, because I thought he had made excessive compensation, Uh, and so we wrote up this plan and we, you know, publicized it, and I was, was. you know, I'm. I was a nobody, you know, or less than a nobody then. And yet, um, in releasing it online and stuff, you know, it ended up getting a lot of support. And I ended up meeting about eight out of the top ten holders of Yahoo stock back then. And back then, the biggest holders, like you say, were Vanguard and State Street, and uh, all of these mutual fund companies. They that just are, don't do activism. They say they don't do it. It doesn't, it no. wouldn't move the needle for them otherwise. No. And, and I would have, I remember having long conference calls with these very nice, polite people uh, at these companies. And I, I was impressed. They, they were very familiar with all my thoughts and, and plans and suggestions of, you know, better alignment of compensation and performance and all this. And so I remember uh, asking them, at, uh, you know, well, can you know, can I can I say, uh, Mister or Mrs., whoever it was, you know, uh, that State Street or Vanguard or whoever it was supports me? And I remember, you know, several of them saying, "Listen, Eric, you know, we think what you're doing is great. You're out there in the public eye. Ah, you're you're you know, causing it, you know." Drawing attention to this issue, but we could never, ever have our name, you know, mentioned in the Wall Street Journal. It's just not how things are done here, and that's true. That's just not the way they're structured. They're, they they basically follow the 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 voting suggestions of this big, powerful organizations like um, ISS that comes out with recommendations before annual meetings, and that's the way they express themselves. But Eric, that so- that
0: is a huge. That and, and we've said this before on the show, that is an enormous diffusion of responsibility. That's saying we don't have the, the bandwidth to do it. We don't have the staff, the attorneys, the the flamethrowers, the various little Eric Jacksons to kind of throw around. You know, you are accompanied by another tormentor of Yahoo, which is Starboard, the Activist Hedge Fund, which is out there known as an activist mm-hmm. hedge fund. And it's been pushing for changes at Yahoo since 2014. It owns 1.7% of the company, and it's trying to clear out the board, and it, it right. has much more of a kind of a Gordon gecko motif than you guys do very expensive hedge fund goes in there its clients know that it will it will fight it will knock teeth out to get what it wants from a recalcitrant board I still don't understand when you look at all the different perks in terms of salary the people who are paid the enormously um, inflated workforce which, even Mark Andreessen, the the other the other VC out there, was on the record as saying that this company has way too many people. The free food, uh, mm-hmm. the the Met Ball that you know she wanted to be seen at, giving everybody an iPhone, which is somewhat understandable. But then blowing two million dollars on Davos again, I don't understand why this doesn't recourse to the people that have the most skin in the game. They should be the ones out there saying, you know what, if the board's not doing its duty, well, the board is accountable to us, the biggest shareholders.
1: You'd think it, you know, you'd think it, it should be, but it's just institutionally they're not set up to do that, and so that's why uh, it's sort of and ISS, frankly, is not set up to do that. ISS is an organization whose basic mandate is to kind of look at look at everything that comes up for a vote before a shareholders meeting and make a recommendation. And then most of these institutional holders will follow that recommendation to the T. And then they can use that later if they're ever ever called on it. But why did you vote in such and such a manner? They'll say, well, ISS said we should do so. So that's why it ends up falling to the likes of these smaller activist investors uh, to be the ones who, even if they've got 1.7% 1.7% or even less than 1%, if they can make a strong case for change, uh, that's really the only way that that action seems to happen at these companies. So it's unfortunate, but that's sort of the, the reality.
0: We are talking to Dr. Eric Action Jackson, Managing Director of Yahoo Shareholder Spring Owl Asset Management. He's joining us uh, from Toronto. Um, I want to get at... Um, this idea that, you know what, it's academic what we're talking about. Yahoo, this core business, this stub business that until recently was worthless. Maybe as of today, it's worth 2 to $3 billion. It pales in a comparison. The real mover of value at this company is its stake in Alibaba. Uh, That's what this is. This is effectively an arbitrage, it's a share play on Alibaba. Alibaba's value is going to make or break the overwhelming amount of uh, $35 billion market cap that you see time-stamped on Yahoo today. So to that extent, I mean, she's playing around with the money and the cash flow and the reputation of the kind of the stub business. Are we, are we kind of splitting hairs here? No, because, um,
1: even though Alibaba is still the biggest part of value at the company, um, it doesn't mean that mayor doesn't deserve criticism for how she's handled her, the only part of the business that she's responsible for, but more importantly, you know, we're, the the whole this is an exercise to create value. It's not it's sort of an, a you know a protest exercise or an academic type exercise. And so there is still value that needs to be created from the Alibaba stake. There is value that needs to be created from from the core business, and and they just have not done that yet. And so um, when I am you know. Pounding the the, the the table, you know, suggesting they do X and Y, you know, it, it's really or Starboard does the same. I mean, it's really to force some sort of action. That's that's that's. It hasn't happened yet. It needs to happen, and if nobody speaks up and nobody continues to speak up, you know, Mayor has a has a history of just you know doing nothing.
0: What do you see in terms of your recommended levers for her to pull, or the, or, the, or whatever management? What would Yahoo be worth today, or what should it be worth, say six or nine months down the line? An implementation plan versus the thirty six and a half dollars it's worth today, which accru- which sets about a thirty five billion dollar market cap. Uh,
1: I mean, this this is a stock that could easily be between fifty and sixty dollars. So it's you know not quite a double from where it is currently, but you know it's, that's significantly higher. So and the way that it it could be there is if uh, this uh, basically Yahoo's business, like like a lot of other kind of older internet business businesses and and other other older businesses they get valued as a as a multiple of their profitability so most people they look and say how many how how much in profits is this company doing a year you know that's some, you know usually referred to as ebitda and and then let's take a multiple of that and if it's a sort of a more mature business it, uh, it's maybe usually less than 10 times its profit stream in a given year if it if we're talking about a fast moving tech business well you know especially like a facebook then you're talking about more like over, way over ten, sometimes over twenty, sometimes over thirty. If it's if it's young and, and fast growing, and so uh, in the case of Yahoo, you'd say, well, this is a business that was doing a billion and a half in profits before Mayer took over a few years ago. But it's like you were saying, it's still horribly overstaffed. They waste a lot every year on on costs, not just for the free food, but just on people, sheer people, which you know any. Any outside buyer looking in would say, boy, if we buy that business, we're gonna immediately cut, you know, X thousands of people away. You know, let let's say that they did th- Yahoo itself did that. This could eas- even though the company's gone down in profitability, they could easily get back to that level. So this should be a, a core business that's worth $10 to $15 billion easily. I mean, AOL, a much smaller business than Yahoo. Was bought uh, last year by Verizon for 4.4 billion, so uh, it should be demonstrably bigger than than that in terms of valuation. So if, if if they were to be properly run with that kind of valuation, where there was competent management in place, and if they were able to kind of get the best value out of these investment
0: stakes, yeah, definitely between 50 and 60 bucks a share. This thing should be worth. We're talking with Dr. Eric Jackson, Managing Director of Yahoo shareholders Spring Owl Asset Management, probably the most outspoken uh, and aggrieved Yahoo shareholders if you look at the past five or seven or eight years. And that's kind of the interesting paradox here. As we were saying earlier, the ones who have most a skin in the game to be ticked off about seem to be the most disproportionately quiet. And what does this say about Marissa Mayer? I mean wh- you're talking that if she, she made some of these moves, that she pulled these levers – even now there's time to do it. The stock would be worth $20 more than it is. But is she not incented? Does she not own the stock?
1: Well, she's certainly incented. She was given all this sort of these stock options and they call it restricted stock units when she came in from Google. And so she still has those. And the more the stock price goes up, the better she does. Uh, So she's got Skin in the game, but I guess it's almost Robin, the difference between found money, you know, versus you know digging into your own pocket and putting your own your own hard-earned dollars at risk. I think what's probably the case with her, and, I, and it's not just her, but I think most CEOs of Fortune 500 companies is that you know the, the executive compensation just keeps going up and up every year, and if you you you're already kind of money good on I don't know what I don't know what her her package is worth now but probably you know well over a couple hundred million I mean does the extra 50 million potentially or 100 million motivate you further I I don't know so that's uh, you know she I think it's more like I think one of the reasons why she's been loath to just up and sell the company is that you know money's not really the issue what I think what she really enjoys is sort of the perks of, of running a big, so called big company like Yahoo. I think she really enjoys being the CEO of a 30 plus billion dollar company, even though she's really only the CEO of a, what did we say? Two and a, $2. And a half billion, billion. dollar co- right. company. So, you know, it's great to be able to sponsor Davos. It's great to be able to, you know, to sponsor the Met Ball. And, and what what is she going to do the day after she's no longer CEO of Yahoo? You know, is she going to just be an entrepreneur in residence at some VC firm? Is she going to go be a CEO of a private little company like Jawbone? You know, this is a, this gives a lot of psychological uh, you know benefits to to a CEO, including Mayor, uh, not just the money.
0: Well, she was brought in after all uh, in the wake of activist pressure in 2012, um, and there was a CEO there, interim CEO Ross Levinson. He was looked at as being the leading candidate for the job, but this kind of dark horse bid came in at the last minute and everybody's like, wow, you're bringing in this uh, this Google pixie dust because she had a decorated run at Google, which was the industry standard for kind of what Yahoo could become. Um, so where was the responsibility at the outset to say, you know what, we're bringing you in, but I need you to buy stock. I understand you're already independently wealthy. She, uh, I don't know if she divested her Google stake. Um you, you have to kind of align incentives with the shareholders there. Again, I know this goes back to Finance 101 and Corporate Governance 101, but really walk us through what went wrong at the outset because I'm seeing that maybe expectations weren't put out there. Maybe she didn't get that they were completely behind on these things and they had a huge legacy rump staff that she had to get rid of.
1: Well, I guess there are two things. One is just, um, you know, why did she get the job and what were the expectations? And then secondly, you know, sort of how should she have been paid? So I think I think one of the problems now looking back is, you know, is that uh, anytime you hire a, quote, star CEO, um, th- there's, there's, we've had lots of case studies where this hasn't worked out in corporate America. Like think of Bob Nardelli, uh, who didn't get the top job at GE, and then he goes off to Home Depot um, as the star. I mean, Carly Fiorina, when she left Lucent to join HP, um, are some kind of you know, yeah, when you bring
0: that, in a star hire, um, and you're right. thinking that that star value alone will, you know, as opposed right. to maybe you needed a blocking and tackling person, maybe you needed a less charismatic person to go in there and and, and hive off parts of the business and fisher cut bait. Right, I mean, and I think
1: there's more deference that comes with a star CEO, right, by the board, and they just think, well, you know they obviously they are brilliant and we are lucky to have them. And so we got to give them a wide berth and letting them do what they want to do. Oh, she wants to hire Henry De Castro. Oh, well, you know, let's not do any, you know, background checks on him and find out that everybody around him at Google thinks he's a terrible boss and can't get along with people. I mean, she says he's the best person available to be her number two. So if that's what she wants, let's, let's let her do that. There's all this kind of, uh, you know, uh, tripping over over yourself that that happens with a star CEO, but the, why did they hire the star CEO? I mean, what the whole reason for picking her versus Ross Levinson was that. Uh, th- the, the thinking was by the board that she will create more value because she's a not just a Google person and with that pixie dust, but she's a Google product person. And, and, and she could come to Yahoo and create new Yahoo products that people are going to love and come back to. And they'll be mobile focused and people will use them for decades into the future. And that's going to be a more sustainable path for Yahoo than the path that Ross was advocating, which was more a let's cut headcount. Let's do some partnerships with media organizations and we'll be so much more profitable than we are today. the, the board thought that that although that was potentially uh, more attractive in the short term, that you know maybe that it won't be the best in the long term in terms of driving higher traffic. And so I guess you have to tip your hat to the board in some sense for for kind of making this longer term decision. The big mistake they made is that, she wasn't this star CEO that that they thought she has not delivered new product for Yahoo. I mean name a new Yahoo product that exists today that didn't uh, four years ago that you are using I mean it's it just hasn't happened we I don't know why but it hasn't happened Well, they continue
0: to make star hires. They just brought in three people I believe today from business insider which which Henry Blodgett did sell. Uh, recently. and I, I would I would ask, I mean, <laughs> if you're being taken on, the biggest concern would be where would Yahoo News be in two years, and what can you stipulate in my employment agreement to make me whole if there is a change in agreement? I mean, these people aren't dumb.
1: No, I, I, I mean, I haven't talked with any of these people, but I, I imagine that anyone coming in would say, oh, you know, Yahoo's going to survive. There are a billion people coming here every month, whether it's as an independent company or whether it's part of Verizon or whether it's part of some private equity consortium that ends up owning it. You know, I'm still going to have a job. People are still going to come. They're going to want their news in the morning. So it's this company is not going away. It's going to exist in some form. It's just not going to exist as an independent company.
0: One last thing on the corporate governance front before we get into the likely outcomes for what happens to, to Yahoo and if the Yahoo name is going to really exist as a, as a corporate stub. Um, you look at the board of directors today. In addition to Marissa Mayer, there's David Filo, who's the co-founder and chief Yahoo. Uh, he has a big chunk of stock. There's H. Lee Scott Jr., who's the former CEO of Walmart, Maynard Webb, uh, founder of the Web Investment Network. There's a former chairman of the board of Intel, former CFO of IAC Interactive Corp., a former partner of Ernst & Young, LLP. Um, I can't understand why those with the most skin in there, uh, the asset managers, can't have a person like you. They can't, you know, for the enormous clout, the enormous share count that they sit on, say that we want a pure, uh, uh, you know, value investor in there, a person who's going to be a shareholder rights advocate. Uh, Whereas these people, many of them are brought in for retail experience or news experience or um, maybe name value, vanity value. This is one disconnect I could never understand with the biggest um, asset holders in the country, and how decidedly passive they are on the board. You would figure that that in, in the VC community, I mean, if you're going to invest in a company, you're going to darn well make sure you get as many board seats as you can.
1: Well, I think you got to. The system is screwed up, but you know this is, you know, even though we live in America. Uh, And this is the, you know, the democracy, cradle of democracy. You know, when it comes to who gets to pick who's on a board of directors for a public company, we are far from a a democracy, Robin. And the, the management set up the system this way. They fight for the system this way so that they are the ones who pick. Who is on the board. And you know, there's no way that Mercer Mayer would want a person like me on the board, even though
0: I'm gonna be, you know, but you know, you know it c- shouldn't be up to her. Again, I'm calling out oh, the Vanguards, yeah. Goldman Sachs's fidelities of the world, the big passive owners out there that mm-hmm. diffuse this responsibility, that leave it to you and a starboard, right? Mm-hmm. Which you you have a different comp structure. You don't hold as many shares as they do. But you're you're like you and Starboard are like the only ones out there. Fixing yourself to to her ankle and trying mm-hmm. to keep her honest from a shareholder perspective.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's it, it, a whole long answer to this. I mean, you look at organizations like the Chamber of Commerce or the Business Roundtable. Um, these organizations that are supposedly, you know, held up as fighting for, you know, American competitiveness or whatever, however they fra- phrase it. I mean, they're, they're lobbying groups and that are basically given money to lobby to maintain things like management's control over the shareholder nomination process. That ends up getting implemented at the SEC level, which ends up being the way that we all have to abide by uh, obviously and so it's unfortunate um, but whenever there has been a movement over these last few years to open up the process and to make it easier for shareholders to nominate members of, of the board of directors it's already always been vigorously uh, contested by these types of organizations representing management and you know it, it's hard to understand but uh, that, <laughs> that's just the way it is I remember one time you know a bunch of years ago um, you know reading a bunch of letters that were submitted to the SEC Supposedly from different mom and pop type, you know, organizations like, you know, Claire's uh, hairdresser salon in, in Saginaw, Michigan, or something like this, you know, and uh, basically saying, oh, you can't implement, you know, this type of this type of rule that would open up the shareholder nomination process because it would hurt American competitiveness. And then I started to you realize you can see the
0: talking all, points from the Chamber of yeah, Commerce. all, all these <laughs>
1: letters were basically the same. I remember calling up Claire or whatever her name was in Saginaw and and asking her about the letter and uh, got Claire on the phone and she was sort of like befuddled as to what I was talking about she well, had, I mean I, in,
0: in <laughs> fairness I try to imagine engaging my wife or my mother on a topic like shareholder democracy I was like mom you should be livid that there are people out there getting paid at this level and that it's just a glorified compensation scheme and a seven million dollar Christmas party that's your money mom you own the Vanguard 500 index fund but it's so infinitesimally small right it's not like somebody is 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 giving my mom a bill for 500 dollars every quarter for this, that it's, you know, it's, it's not really affecting her. And when you talk about the broader diffusion for Vanguard with its millions of customers and it's north of three or four trillion dollars of assets under management, this is a drop in the bucket.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, and I think the, the powers that be, you know, rely on this complexity, um, to basically maintain the system as it is.
0: Eric Jackson, I want you um, to talk to me, please, about the future for Yahoo. It seems like the most likely suitor in this case is Verizon. Verizon has a market cap of about $210 billion, uh, $5 billion of cash on its balance sheet. Could very easily buy Yahoo, even though there's going to be some integration issues, which it's AOL, uh, which it bought last year for $4.5 billion, which is the core of its digital media business. It seems like this is kind of a convenient place for a dying web company to go to kind of have a semi-dignified death. It's a unionized shop. On the one hand, they're fighting uh, striking workers from its landline business. On the other hand, they realize that they are the leading mobile company in the United States, and there's going to be a big push to monetize the intelligence and the network that they have. Um, Even with stub players like AOL and Yahoo, how do you see this working out?
1: Well, Verizon, even though it's very big, very powerful, I mean, they also have to think about their own future. They are thinking about their own future, and um, at at an AT and T or a Verizon level, you know, they're they're threatened by the likes of uh, Google. Who continues to expand beyond just search to new kinds of services, Wi-Fi enabled, you know, competitive uh, communication services that sort of are, are alternatives to you know the, the the traditional ways that we would use Verizon to to talk with each other or communicate with each other, and so. You know, yeah, it's, it's ironic that Yahoo, this so-called dinosaur, sort of fits in with their plans about how to basically uh, create new types of revenue for themselves. Um, and and also, you should also remember that uh, 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 Verizon, you know, is probably highly interested in the Yahoo patent portfolio that it's collected over the last 20, 20 years. Some 600-plus-odd patents, which they have uh, received, because they are very interested. Verizon is very interested in potentially using those patents to protect themselves as someone like a Google, you know, increasingly encroaches into its space. So, so they they started with buying AOL last year and they have a, a well-regarded executive in Tim Armstrong kind of leading that group. And, uh, you know, they've got the beginnings of some kind of new services. But Eric, let's
0: call let's call a spade a spade in this case. It's it's a it's come on, let's cut to the chase. It's a BS acquisition for them. They're never going to be judged on this business as much as their industry morphs. They're not being judged on landline or Fios. They're judged as a wireless company and wireless additions. And this is kind of a diversion for them. Huffington Post is now owned by Verizon. Nobody's going to care about the readership at Huffington Post if they break it out in an income statement.
1: True, but they do care, you know, I think Verizon does care very much about new types of services like its Go90 service, which is like its over-the-top um, alternative to the big bundle that you would pay Comcast for in terms of having content uh, delivered to through your cable pipes every month. They want to sort of be on the cutting edge of creating new types of services that you might get over your phone, your Verizon wireless phone, or through uh, your Fios connection, uh, and to have kind of a tighter tie to their... Brand an organization, and that's going to survive. You know, once once we fully get off the the cable big bundle uh, bill, eighty bucks a month bill, to whatever is going to come next in the new over the top world. So, so it's small today for sure, but I. I think they have got big plans, and you know, if if they didn't have big plans, I doubt very much that some someone like Tim Armstrong would still be working there a year post acquisition the way he is. Sure. I think he sees something there, uh, and probably I, I would guess like he has his eyes on potentially taking over one day as the CEO of the entire company.
0: Now, initially, about 40 firms had expressed interest in, um, you know, taking a nibble, uh, looking at the books uh, at Yahoo. That's been whittled down significantly. Google parent Alphabet, Comcast, AT and T, Barry Dillers, IAC Interactive, um, all these guys have effectively uh, decided to pass on it, including Time Inc., the legacy um, magazine business, where there was a connection. Maybe, maybe Marissa Mayer was starry-eyed. She. Has an executive there, I believe, was it Martha Nelson that she brought Mm -hmm. in from Time, Inc.? So there's an affinity, and maybe she thinks she can do something with it. And if you look at Time, Inc., uh, they want to be known as a video company, as a content company anywhere. There was a rumor last week that The Guardian might come in after them, The the Guardian, the U.K. tabloid, which has Mm -hmm. an enormous web presence in the U.S. Um, Which one of these makes most sense to you? Um, and then, and obviously, the the, the usual suspects—the private equity consortium, the financial engineers—who can come in and fisher cut bait, sell off parts like so many sides of beef. Well, uh, any
1: private equity firm, or you know, one of these uh, entities, smaller entities like Time Inc., um, and they would have to team up with like a bunch of private equity firms to be able to afford to buy Yahoo. They are, um, you know, they're able to pay far less than a Verizon. So. I, you know, all eyes for me continue to be on Verizon, but also um, I'm I'm watching Alibaba itself and SoftBank uh, itself because um, Yahoo, in addition to its Alibaba stake, owns a stake in Yahoo Japan, where it's you know it owns 35 percent of Yahoo Japan, while while SoftBank owns you know another uh, stake of similar size in Yahoo Japan. So there's. I think there's a lot of potential that one of those two players or both uh, could get into the mix here before before things are finalized and say, hey, well, if you know if you're going to do this transaction and Verizon's going to start to to you know own Yahoo from now on, like we want to use this opportunity to come back and buy these stakes. Inter- Interestingly enough, SoftBank
0: SoftBank is the majority holder of Sprint, the struggling uh, Verizon competitor in the United States. And so maybe there's a vested interest there. This gets a little inside baseball in thwarting Verizon or blocking them. But they're also not happy in that you know, Yahoo! Japan still repatriates money back to the mothership out in California, even though they have nothing to do with each other. So it seems like there are a lot of unhappy players. And I'm just surprised that they failed to coalesce and form a, a, a consortium. I've had experience in the past dealing with some of these big mutual fund companies, and they tell us that they act through moral suasion behind the scenes, and shaming, and um, you know browbeating executives, or, or, or sharing certain quotes in the press, or then enlisting a knife fighter like an Eric Jackson or a, a Starboard, and saying mm-hmm. we will get your back if X, Y, Z. Again, right. so many unhappy people with the entire 21-year experience of Yahoo and the end game here, and and it really is not coalesced into a single voice telling the board you do this or else.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's it's really, uh, when you do look back through history, and Yahoo's not the only big successful company that's, you know, fallen into this trap. I mean, think about America Online, where, you know, b- both America Online, AOL, and, uh, and Yahoo uh, really had the world by the tail in the sense of, you know, you think of these services that they almost... They almost had a monopoly on in the late 90s, like instant messenger, you know, way before Skype or all these, you know, WhatsApp and all these things. You know, America Online really was Facebook before Facebook. And yet, um, you know, they just they they were not able to kind of make it work. I mean, Yahoo Yahoo famously had a deal, had a handshake deal with Mark Zuckerberg to buy Facebook in 2006 for a
0: billion dollars. Say that again. Uh, Say that again. Yahoo had a chance to buy Facebook for how much? $1 One billion dollars, but then we can't t- know if the Facebook then would have turned into the Facebook of today, right? If they would have messed no. that up, because they could have bought eBay as well. This was this goes back years yeah. ago to one of these aggrieved executives at Yahoo wrote mm-hmm. the peanut butter memo. What was it? Uh, peanut you know, butter
1: manifesto. The peanut yeah.
0: butter manifesto. We're spreading ourselves too thin, and then he right. he kind of went away, and then other acquisitions were done. I, I can't put a number on how many failed acquisitions. You know, you could always take well, the counterfactual. Yeah, I mean they, they
1: were playing footsie with Google in the early days of, like, say, two thousand and three. Uh, you're right about eBay you're right about Facebook you're right to say oh would it have worked out Yahoo is such a look, even Mark I mean, even
0: Mark Cuban back in the infancy of Yahoo if yeah, I remember in the late yeah. late 90s I was like ha suck us I sold but, you this was it broadcast.com I don't I don't even yeah. know the you need a program like hot jobs Tumblr right, right. um uh, you know I, I,
1: I but then look at look at uh, Flickr. Alibaba right the, so they make a billion dollar investment in Alibaba in 2005. And you know, like look at it today. I mean, basically, it's ten years later, ten plus years later. It saved the company. So, you know, if if <laughs> you know things just could, you know, we'll we'll never know. But uh, you know, they were in such a, a place to succeed. And 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 the, and, and not only that, you think about the talent that worked at Yahoo, Jeff Weiner, who's now the CEO of LinkedIn. LinkedIn. You know, he was he was one of uh, Terry Semmel's uh, lieutenants, you know, and worked at Yahoo for I, I do think years.
0: about the diaspora, Kevin Krim and Jeff Weiner, all these other people mm-hmm. who have who've left. And you talked about that very ominously here. The fact that the best 15 percent of the performers have kind of left. That's the way the valley works. If you're good, you get poached. You don't stick around for the place to start stinking.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, so it's. It could have been so much different. The fact that it wasn't, you know, is sort of a cautionary tale. I think for all organizations, you know, even look at a Facebook today. That seems to have the, you know, the world that's dominant, right. you know, dominant in so many ways, and we just can't imagine a world where it's not well. You know, don't get too high on yourself. You only have to look across the 101 to kind of see what what could, can happen when 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 you when you do that over time.
0: You read my mind, actually, on that final point. In the few minutes we have left, you think about the stars of yesteryear: Excited Home, Lycos, um, gosh, you know, I, I forget. In addition to AOL, all the different players. I mean, AOL. AOL has Netscape underneath it. AOL was so big at one point, it acquired the biggest media company in the country. And all these players failed. You know, there's that old bromide, innovate or die. And in, in their defense, a lot of these companies throw money at acquisitions. And um, these acquisitions are ultimately written down and, and no one's there to kind of hold their hand to the fire and say, you did this, we're not trusting you with shareholder money again. What do you see happening to the kings of the heap? Um, they seem it, it, It's inconceivable if you look ahead you know, 10, 15 years from now, Facebook and Google and Amazon and Apple will be shells of their former selves the way Yahoo is today.
1: You know, I think that, that yeah. acquisitions, even though they can be... Um, you know, tremendous wasters of capital and um, cannot work out. And there are more examples of them failing, especially high-priced acquisitions failing than, than succeeding. I think they do offer um, uh, promise. And so even if you look at Facebook today versus say two, three years ago, I mean, the, the acquisitions that they made of Instagram, of WhatsApp, you know they, they haven't you know saved facebook but you know facebook would be seen very differently today without those um those acquisitions than than now you know with instagram part of the fold i mean twitter would be a much more valuable company today had they been able to follow through and make the acquisition of instagram uh when it was sort of possible before facebook swooped in so i think that, you know to continue to reinvent yourself, you have to be looking at, you know, what's coming next on the next wave and how, you know, how people might be getting bored of your, you know, AOL keyword service and looking to something, something new. So, uh, at, so far, Facebook's been smart to want to buy Snapchat and, and things like that. Um, and so, I think their their future, you know, it rests on their ability to con- c- continue to sort of imagine that they, they could be disrupted next year and what's going to be the next big thing that people are going to be interested in and try to move there. Um, the Oculus Rift, I mean, that was part of the reason for, for doing that years before uh, we finally got to that type of reality. So if they can, can keep doing that, um, that'll be great for them. Uh, history, though, suggests that that becomes increasingly more difficult, especially once you know founders step out of the way.
0: All you listeners out there, that's unusual fire in the typically icy veins of a Canadian. Um, (laughs) Eric Jackson, Dr. Eric Jackson, Managing Director of Yahoo Shareholders, Spring Owl Asset Management, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hey, thank you, Robin.
0: Full disclosure, our engineer is John Valentine. We are on NPR One, WRIR, iTunes, ACAST, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We are 56K eyeball-optimized for your Dell Pentium laptop. Beware of overheating. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week.